As we come to this first Sunday after Christmas, this last Sunday of the calendar year, I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23 is our text this morning. Matthew is the first gospel, and so if you're uh, looking for where it is, you'll get past um, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi at the end of the Old Testament, and then you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we want to be in Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. This is a prime text. I say that not just because Matthew 2, 13, and 23 are all prime numbers, um, though they are, which is fascinating, um, but it is a prime text for the first Sunday after Christmas. Because the scene of nativity, of the wise men and gathering, the choirs of angels gathering the shepherds, and of Jesus Christ our Savior born in a stable and laid in a manger are all fresh in our minds. And yet the peaceful scene does not last that long. This text, um, where we pick up at verse 13, happens right after the the Magi, or the wise men, um, have visited King Herod. We could say a lot more about Herod and the type of villainous king that he was. We could focus our time today on Joseph and how he was just a faithful, do-what-needs-to-be-done, responsive kind of guy. But our primary text, our focus this morning, will be on one word, fulfilled. Because by paying attention to that word, we get a window into what God is doing. And what God is doing in this short ten verses is bringing to fulfillment prophecy after prophecy from the Old Testament. If we pay attention to what God is doing, then along the way we do get to learn from faithful characters in Scripture, like Joseph and Mary and Elizabeth. We do get to see what God does or does not do with wicked characters like Herod or Ahab. But if we first center on what God is doing, we see fulfillment being brought into the world through Jesus Christ. And it assures us and shows us both that God is at work and a beginning sense of how God is at work. So with this text before us this morning, let's pray for God's blessing upon the word. God, may your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As you said in Hosea that, that, that you taught us how to walk. May you teach us how to walk spiritual steps into the new year by making your scriptures alive in our hearts today. This we ask in the love of God the Father, in the name of Jesus the Son, and and in the power and presence of God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Matthew 2, 13-23. When they, the Magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled 
what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you may already know this, that I was raised in a very dedicated Ford family. You could say that I was raised to believe in the sovereignty of the Ford. But all along my upbringing years, I had one guilty pleasure, one rebellious love. Despite my appreciation for F-Series trucks and Mustangs, I always just had a love of the Pontiac Trans Am. I don't know exactly where it came from, if it was watching the TV version of Smokey the Bandit as a kid one too many times, or the fact that my uncle had a 1979 Trans Am in his garage, beautiful 6.6 liter V8, black T-tops, ah, we had fun with that car most of the time, my cousin and I, with our uncle's permission. Once we implied permission, but that's a different story for a different day. But with this just underlying love of transams i don't really know why you could say i was transfixed by transams but i always noticed who had one and a game i played at church uh, especially after evening service was done when there just weren't as many people i would always see if i could match up which families went with which vehicles it's just a habit that i have and i grew up in a church where a lot of people were related if that sounds familiar to some of you maybe but uh, some of one of my dad's cousins, Barb, Barb and Larry Hoffman, had a beautiful Trans Am. Early 2000s, when they were still making them, this car was sharp. And I just stared at it almost every Sunday evening after church. And then one day, I was out waiting in the parking lot as normal. And Larry and Barb came out. And they walked to a distinctly unremarkable vehicle. I don't remember what it was, but I do remember noticing it was not a Trans Am. And so I asked them, I'm like, oh, no Trans Am tonight? And they said, oh, no, we sold it. And I was like, oh, that's too bad. And they took a moment of my reaction and said, oh, 
If we would have known you were so interested, we could have made a deal and sold it to you. Do you ever wish you could go back and turn back time just for a minute, just to get a do-over? Just maybe to, to not miss on an opportunity. That was my probably one shot that I could have worked out a deal with my dad's cousin and had the car of my dreams. Now, I'm really glad that that didn't work out because I question if that car would still be intact today or if I would be intact today as I think through my 16 to 19-year-old self and my decision-making process. But you still linger on those moments, some of them playful and fun, where you just wish you could turn back time. You just wish you could get a do-over. Maybe you could have avoided a decision that you've lived with regret. Maybe you could have made a, a different decision in the moment, or if you would have known what you know now, you could have acted differently. Maybe there's missed opportunities that just linger with you in your memory, that if only we could go back and change the beginning to get a more suitable outcome as we think in the end. And it's normal for our minds to do this. It's also probably pretty normal for our hearts to play tricks on us in these moments where we imagine that life would be more fulfilling. Life would be more fulfilling if X would have happened or Y would not have happened. Life would be more fulfilling, right? Do you ever have those moments where you look back and if you would have known what you know now, what would you have done differently? Maybe that's just looking back a month, a year, a decade. And I think it goes beyond the, the car that you bought or the promotion you passed up, but to this bigger picture of fulfillment. And the problem is that we're actually pretty short-sighted about fulfillment. We think only from our perspective most of the time, and we only can think with our lifetime's span. And one advantage that we always have when reading Scripture is we can read on and look back. But characters in the Bible did not have that option with basically temporal clairvoyance. But that's what's so interesting to me about how many times the word fulfilled gets used. In, in these short ten verses, three different times we are told that the words of the prophets spoke from long ago are being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God is at work in God's type of fulfillment, not the kind of fulfillment that we wish that could change the course of maybe our lives, but rather what God is doing is changing the course of human history. Because God is bringing to fulfillment words that were spoken long ago. Words that in, in some cases in Isaiah and other prophets, the, the Israelites thought they had already been fulfilled. But if you were reading Matthew's gospel for the first time, and if you were a person that knew a little bit of something about the Old Testament, you would know and pick up right away in these verses that God is moving the plot forward. The plot of salvation and the story of God's grace is moving forward at a rapid rate. There's no time for filler episodes here. Not a word can be wasted because God is checking off the boxes and proving a point as Matthew was inspired to write this text 
that the story of salvation is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ, not just in his birth, but the confirmation continues on throughout the whole gospel. Pay attention, friends, to where we speak of God fulfilling God's word. Still, we learn something about God as we pay attention to how God fulfills things. And maybe there's something that we learn about how to pray when we pay attention to God's sense of fulfillment as opposed to what we often think of as fulfillment. God, unfortunately to many of us, but actually for our good, does not send us back in time. That's kind of a bummer sometimes. God does not send us back in time to avoid pain, to abolish hardship, or even to let us get a do-over to make something just a little bit better. God does not act that way in going back to rewrite the present. Rather, we see fulfillment that often does include pain. Verse 18 of our text today is one such instance where we're told that the word of the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled Verse 18, a voice heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the prophet Jeremiah. And it's carried out by King Herod in the death of all of the boys two years old and under in Bethlehem. God's sense of fulfillment does not spare pain. But there is a greater story of redemption emerging from the pain of the time. Even when the world, like that type of world that's so messed up, there is still God fulfilling God's purposes and something different is emerging. And some of what's different is Jesus, in just a few more chapters, is going to start preaching a different vision of a kingdom, and he's going to preach a different definition of a king altogether. Because one thing that Matthew chapter 2 reminds us is that even though Herod was supposed to be king over the Jews, even though they were his people to take care of and to seek their flourishing, Herod is no different in the New Testament than the Pharaoh was in Egypt, slaughtering all of the young boys. Herod and Pharaoh, though different nationalities, have the same problem. They are people who are easily threatened and who will make decisions, even as king and pharaoh will make decisions with fragile egos. Jesus' vision of kingdom transcends such earthly rulership that is flawed. And I wonder, as Jesus started to teach about the kingdom vision, the kingdom of heaven, one of light breaking into the darkness, I do wonder if some of the people listening to Jesus for the first time, if they were from the vicinity of Bethlehem, I wonder how many parents would have looked at Jesus and remembered with pain, I should have a son about your age. I wonder how many men and women who heard the Sermon on the Mount for the first time in its original hearing, I wonder how many of them looked at this teacher, this rabbi who was bringing hope, who was reinterpreting the law. I wonder if they looked at him, heard his words about a kingdom and a king that was different, and thought to themselves, I was supposed to have a brother about your age. 
There is pain in the world. God's version of fulfillment does not eliminate that pain. It does not go back and and change kings around so that Herod wouldn't have been king. No. The story of hope continues, though. And we get a taste that there needs to be something different for true fulfillment to take place. This kingdom has to be beyond just what we see here. And Joseph certainly follows along with that perfectly. He's spoken to in dreams multiple times. He listens. He does. He follows through because there's a different set of principles and a different voice speaking into his life to guide him. Shortly after our text today, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus will say these words, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Once again, we're not getting rid of the past. We're not negating all that has happened in Israel's history. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is using that same word, fulfilled. And it is a word of just the simple meaning of the word is a cup that has water pouring out over it. It is full. Jesus is bringing fulfillment even by his existence as a young child. And Jesus will preach to Israel the fulfillment of the law. And that matters so much for us today because we could not do what Jesus did on our own. The prophecy that that I think so much of the action hinges on here is in verse 15 of our text, which is the the prophecy of Hosea 11 quoted here in Matthew chapter 2. Verse 15 tells us where he stayed, Joseph and Mary with Jesus, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, let's just think about that for a minute. Out of Egypt, I called my son. For most of the Israelites, they would hear that word of Hosea and say, that already happened. Israel is God's loved but flawed child. Israel was called out of Egypt in the days of Moses. And you could say that already happened, except it didn't happen perfectly. We covered some of those uh, texts in our Back to Basics sermon series. There was so much back and forth. Israel would be faithful for a time and then fall away, and God would call back, and Israel would come back and then fall away. The covenant would be renewed. Things would go back and forth, bad to worse. Out of Egypt I called my son. Where we can look back with all of the advantage of time and history in this text is to know that Jesus is fulfilling Israel's history. He is reliving it and checking all of the boxes along the way. It is no accident that Mary and Joseph flee to Egypt just as Joseph was sent to Egypt, just as the Israelites in those days, they fled to Egypt for refuge from famine. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus flee to Egypt for refuge, and then they are called out. Except this time, we're not going to do a do-over and just send Jesus back. We're not going to eliminate the whole nation of Israel. What is going to happen, though, is that this time it's going to happen right. This time, someone who can live this story perfectly is going to live it. 
Jesus did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And he fulfills it not only in his birth and death and resurrection, but also just in how he lived. Jesus is reliving Israel's story. So what about us? How do we absorb this reality that that Jesus fulfilled so many of these prophecies that when you go back and read the minor prophets, it's even hard to pick up on some of them? How does that matter to us today? Well, friends, where do we rightly teach children? Where, Where does Jesus live? Jesus lives in our hearts. And so if you were going to think about this next coming year, Knowing through faith that Christ is in your heart, ask not what you wish you could go back and do over, whether it be a month, a year, or a decade. Ask not what you could go back and do differently if you could play with time for a day what you think you would change for fulfillment, but rather with Christ in your heart. Ask how can you bring fulfillment to the year ahead? What would bring true fulfillment to the year ahead? Joseph was that example of someone directed by God. How do we pray that same prayer that we assume Joseph must have had down pat? Lead me in faithfulness that brings fulfillment. What does faithfulness look like? Knowing not that we're going to get it perfectly and that we don't get any do-overs. We don't get to go back and take back what we said or say what we wanted to say. We don't get do-overs. But what God offers, even in all of the mistakes of Israel's history, is fulfillment. For some, this year has just brought lots of regret. Others would say that this year has brought some good learning, some new knowledge of self. In all of this, I ask, how do you bring where you are right now And on New Year's Eve this Thursday, ask that question. What would it look like to bring fulfillment to this year? How do I want to be? How do I want to show up? What do I want to do differently? Not for my personal gratification, but to seek a sense of fulfillment for God's kingdom. And is there joy in that? Once again, Jesus did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but he did come to fulfill them so that hopefully there is joy in following fulfillment of Christ. Not that it means we get to avoid pain or skip the hard parts in life, but there is joy. Said differently, as we think about this New Year's Eve as we think about Joseph and the flight to Egypt and the return to Nazareth just to fulfill that Jesus was called out of Egypt and grew up as a Nazarene, was born in Bethlehem, all of the boxes are checked. Ask yourself this simple question, my friends. If Jesus was living your life, how would your life be lived? If Jesus was living your life at whatever stage of life you are, How would Jesus live your life out? And we are meant to trust in faith that Christ is with us, is in our hearts. And so we get to ask, Jesus, how are we going to do it this year? If we think that we can't make that comparison, 
Maybe you think, I'm, Jesus was both blue-collar and white-collar. If you're a tradesperson, good news, Jesus was a carpenter. If you're more of a white-collar person, good news, Jesus was an incredible educated teacher who spoke eloquently and simply. Jesus is the one that we ask, how do we bring fulfillment this year? I borrow that question from some friends, um, Jim Harrington and Tricia Taylor, who they give credit uh, to the writer, uh, Christian writer Dallas Willard for asking that question. If Jesus was living your life, how would it be lived out? You might find your own Egypt along the way. You might find your own podunk Nazareth along the way. But wherever you find yourself and in whatever you do, how is Jesus going to live out your life with you and through you? Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you bring fulfillment, not through letting us take back what we did or didn't do, but through living a perfect life, through bringing redemption to points of pain. You lead us and guide us when we look towards you and find that you are calling us from the days of the prophet Hosea to, to today. You are calling us not only to follow, but to be with you in holy communion. Help us to find your definition of fulfillment. Help us to take stock this year on New Year's Eve as a time of reflection, to wonder what fulfillment looks like this year and what fulfillment can look like free from the circumstances that are outside of our control, not dictated by the decisions we wish we could change but how to seek fulfillment now. Whether it be through forgiveness, whether it be through finding new patience, whether it be through reestablishing connection with someone who is long lost, whether it be the simple and obvious yet profound task of bringing good news to those who need it, and so proclaiming the gospel of good news. For in you, Jesus, our sins are forgiven. They are washed away and new life is given. New life meant for fulfillment. Life meant to be lived to the fullest. So Lord, give us humility as we consider these things. Give us dedication to reading your word, to see the ways in which you are at work and how you show up and bring fulfillment. And in all of this, give us that humility that also yields and wields joy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bring that joy to our lives as you use us, as we co-create with you to bring fulfillment to our world. Amen.